Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to Radio Islam. I'm your host, Tariq Alameen, and we're broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM. We're also streaming at WCEV1450.com. Now, if you are new to the Radio Islam family, you can keep up with us on social media by following and liking our pages. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You'll find us at Radio Islam USA. And also take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. You will find us wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play. Uh, Where else? Tune in. Yeah, but look for us. You'll find us at Radio Islam USA. And... What else do I have to tell you? Make sure that you stop by RadioSlime.com for behind-the-scenes info, guest bios, and just a host of uh, great stuff. So, RadioSlime.com. All right, folks, it is time for movie talk. We try to spice it up a little bit uh, with a little more lively intro bed, uh, that music that you hear. All right, so as I said, it is time for movie talk, and um, you probably know what that means. Well, actually, you have a you've, you've got an extra extra surprise tonight because we've got two co-hosts tonight, right? So it's three of us doing this thing tonight. We have Bubba Murray, and if this is your first time, let me tell you, right? This is Bubba's favorite part of the it of is, the. This is my favorite part of being here. <laughs> favorite part of the program. Have at it. <laughs> Bubba is an award-winning writer, director, hailing from Oak Park, Illinois. His, his background includes receiving the ABC Writing Fellowship, writing for Desperate Housewives, participating in the NBC Diversity Scene Showcase twice, and being accepted into the Fox Writing Initiative. And most recently, his short film, Robox, won the Best Children's Film in 2017. Actually, he's got something to add on to that because you've got a film that is premiering. Yes, right? uh, well, it, it, just, it just premiered. Um, it was called Awake, and we had it in the... Chicago uh, Horror Film Festival, so that so I was really proud of how that went. So that was a really good showing. So I would say now that's my most recent having that screening, and I have a couple scripts out there and a couple various festivals, and uh, yeah, just keep looking for my name, Bubba Murray. Okay, good stuff, good stuff. Um, and also, I'll, I'll I'll end it up with Bubba also serves as the lead content and social media director for Burma Task Force. All right, so there you go there. And always, well, you know him, you love him, the impressive one, assistant producer, Ibrahim Baig. Um, Assalamu alaikum. <laughs> like my salam. The, the coolest intro in the world. So tonight, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put away some of the, the, the levity for a moment to uh, bring our attention to something that uh, we're, probably, we're probably already paying attention to. And that is our president's stance towards, uh, towards the free press towards the media and this in light of uh the recent which which is generally accepted as the murder of um washington post uh reporter uh, journalist jamal khashoggi and uh if if we think about this and i don't want to go off on too much of a tangent but if we think about the way that our president has vilified the media he's called it the enemy of the people uh he has mocked uh, he has mocked reporters. He has celebrated recently the congressman from, I think, from Montana, who a while back had body slammed a reporter, and then you know he he pled guilty to it. Uh, he still he still was elected, uh, and at a one of his rallies recently, 
you know, he celebrated that. He said, you know, a guy that can body anybody that can body slam somebody, you know, he's he's good with me. But the point is, he has taken a stance that is almost uh, it is almost un. Wow, just I'm trying to think. It's unprecedented. It's unprecedented. Well, well, it's, it's it, well, it's it's something we probably haven't legitimately seen since Nixon, let's say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, he he was on very much the same. But no one would think we would make this turn and make it, and it's so so blatant. Mm-hmm. So what we want to do tonight, um, because you got to realize that there's a there's a thin line that exists between our freedom of the press uh, and the freedom of our journalists to do what they do, uh, to inform the public, and the create the creative force of our film industry, right? There's a fine line that comes between censoring the press and then starting to set your sights on censoring the, uh, the, the film industry, uh, and then, by extension, music as well. So we want to talk tonight about films that have had an impact on the public discourse on on policy on uh just just consciousness so that's going to be the thrust and we're going to keep bringing this back to where we're at today right because this is not something this is not a conversation that just springs out of nowhere it's very relevant and i want to start off with um i want to start off with uh fruitvale station okay all right so this film, uh, it, it chronicled the last day in the life of Oscar Grant, who was killed by uh, BART police, uh, I guess Bay Area Rapid Transit uh, police, you know, like their train police. And this was just a little bit prior to the, uh, to the Black Lives Matter uh, movement, you know, it, it's, it's beginning. But it, 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 it started a conversation just with regard to the interaction or the over overreaction of of some of our police with regard to uh, men of color, uh, black men, and I think that's an important. Uh, I think it came at an important time, uh, and it, it it added something to the to the awareness that some people you know don't have. They don't live in that world, um, and it, it was an important film. Yeah, and just and just a, a little bit extra background. This was the first feature film for director and writer uh, Ryan Coogler. Yeah, yeah. And now he's of Black Panther fame. But just to say how his movies and this sort of this point of view carried over right. from Fruitvale Station, you know, to to Creed to Black Panther, and and you see that idea of black empowerment mm-hmm. and. When this movie came out, again, it brought it brought more attention to and more legitimacy to the Black Lives Matter movement for people who were outside of the who were I'd say who were more mainstream people who were just watching mainstream media. And when they say mainstream media, I'm talking about if you're just watching CNN or MSNBC or even Fox News, you're not seeing these stories. You're not seeing what is the genesis of it. Right. So uh, Fruitvale Station, it was so important because, again, it it, was, it won the jury awards for Sundance. Mm-hmm. So when it's recognized at such a prestigious festival, it's going to take notice. So now you've got all of America looking and finding out about this story. Yeah. Uh, 
so, and and then that brings in that opposition when when you've when you see people who are gravitating to the store, you've got also the people who want to cut it down and and, and try and say uh, vilify some of the 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 heroes or the victims in this. Right, absolutely. And as a matter of fact, uh, that was the same year. So uh, the Black Lives Matter movement began in the same year that this film uh, was released. Uh, and of course, you know, the, that movement uh, was in response to the uh, the verdict, um, the killing of Trayvon Martin. So this was uh, this was this was an important this an important film. Uh, and it also leads up I mean, staying on that same kind of uh, thread. There's a film out now. Uh, it's called the hate. What is it? The hate you the give. The hate you give. The hate you give. Now I haven't. I haven't looked up to see. Um, I know I saw. I saw some ex- some faces I recognize uh, in there. But uh, the point again, it looks like it's e- either loosely based off of um, the uh, the protest from uh, Ferguson. Um, but once again, it's keeping the conversation uh, alive uh, and out in the public with regard to police interaction and commu- uh, police interacting with communities of color. And that's not a conversation that's going to go anywhere until it is properly uh, properly addressed. So um, what, what's, what's the next one that, that, that you want to bring up that you feel has had an impact on uh, either awareness, policy, or just... Well, actually, I, ju- I just thought of one, and it's more about... I will say your impression of the media hmm. and then also what they have to go through. Now there's, this is an older movie okay. and it's called city of God. I don't know if you're familiar with this movie. It's a, it's a Brazilian movie. Yeah. I've seen it. And it's about, it's the story of a photographer and how he first got into journalism okay. and he lived in the favelas. And what I love about this movie is it's, it, it was a raw movie. It was filmed in the favelas. And the people that they had starring in this, they, they were real gangsters. Mm. Uh, and you see the danger in, that people face who are reporters in order to get the real story out. Because as, as this project moves on, we, we, we follow the lead character whose, whose first stories were about Again, track or just following what's happening with some of the gangsters in his community, but because he was from the favelas, he was the only one who could really get in there. And when you think about how cavalier you have someone like Trump is now with the with calling journalists the enemy of the state, right? Uh, cheering on this uh, Montana guy, and I don't even want to use his name because <laughs> he's cheering on the fact that he he body slammed a reporter for doing yeah. his job right he's reveling in this but this but versus this story that really captures um the passion you have to have to try and tell the truth and then the dangers that you are facing to just get the word out there it's and and, and besides having the community that you're investigating after you now in our country we're having our government now trying to suppress us and it's beyond now just with with bogus laws he our president is inciting physical harm against people who are trying to tell the truth mm-hmm. blanket you know it's not about 
making sure they're telling the truth. It's just if you're a reporter, they should be in your crosshairs. Take them out, and we'll figure it out later. So, um, so City of God is one of those movies. Again, when I when I watch this guy's story, all the things he had to do to just take these pictures of of the of the gangsters and he and all the violence that he saw growing up, but he that didn't stop him from pursuing that dream. Uh, I, I that really affects me on how I see journalism and how and and what it means to to get the truth out and to have a passion for it. Mm. So, Abraham, you said you saw this movie as well? Um, I did, a long time ago. And, and did, uh, it, did it have a particular impact on you? Uh, um, I agree that it was just, it was very, it was raw, it was impactful, and um, I, I think they even bring some of the footage from the actual people, like news footage from the people that the characters are portraying yes. um, at the very end of the movie. Yeah. Um, so that made it even more raw, and this makes it hit home a lot more. Um, it taught me something about the the uh, whole favela culture in Brazil that I, I wasn't aware of, that these are fairly new uh, parts of the city, mm-hmm. that people came in from outside and settled there, and then it became this kind of isolated community in itself. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's displaying the violence and the, all the gang conflicts there. I wasn't aware of any of that. So in that case, yeah, it was, it was definitely very impactful. But, but And I think that for me, again, this that that being an eyewitness to that violence, uh, in, the, in American media, a lot of it's very filtered. So we might get a lot of uh, reporting on positions. Uh, there's some sensationalism in the storytelling. But as n- viewers or people who who digest the news mm-hmm. we we are protected from a lot of the raw uh violence and and carnage that these that's being shown you know american media will blur out blot bodies and they won't show certain things on newscasts so in this in foreign in a lot of foreign news and and then with now uh, isn't isn't that City a of kind of a big change that happened in american media um, after the Vietnam War, I believe so. Because I, from what I know, I mean, I wasn't around back then, but we always hear about it that during the Vietnam War, uh, these images were brought into people's living rooms on TV of soldiers, you know, graphically showing American soldiers or or uh, even innocent civilians or whatever, you know, killed, dead bodies, and so on. And that was really shocking. And that was part of what. Um, drove a lot of the energy against the war mm-hmm. to see those kind of images. But at the same time, after that is when the media started to kind of sterilize the images that it portrayed on, on TV and in major magazines and newspapers. You know, I think this also, it brings into, uh, into the discussion photojournalism, right? Because that Absolutely. was a time where, uh, like you think some of the most iconic uh, pictures during the Vietnam War uh, there's one uh, matter of fact I think this is maybe I'm, I'm, I'm conflating the two but I'm thinking uh, Tiananmen Square there's a young man in front of a uh, in front of a tank yeah. right yes, yes. Uh, then there's this other picture where there's a soldier who is uh, ju- he, he, they take the picture they catch him executing uh, a, a young man right he's got a revolver out up to his temple 
and I want to say that I want to say that's from I could be wrong I want to say it's from like the Maoist revolution yeah yeah so but but the point being that these types of you know that that's another layer of journalism you know the whole idea of seeing is believing this is really before people had the ability to take a picture with their phone Mm -hmm. and edit it uh it was before photoshopping right you know we didn't have that's why rodney king was such a big deal Mm because that didn't happen yeah you know that wasn't common to to get a footage of something like that happening nowadays everyone you even if someone gets pulled over you tend to now you know take your phone phone right yeah yeah, people didn't even think about necessarily doing that all the time Mm -hmm. here you you're now it's part of we're conditioned to take the phone but let's think about this um that because that has been become that's become the norm that there's been a response to that right now the freedom of the press is one thing uh, and that's restricted in, in, in different ways. Um, maybe not, maybe not as um, as, a, as a parent, right? But when you think about what it means for individuals, um, going back to Rodney King, right? Somebody pulled out a straight camcorder and recorded all of that, right? And what has been the response? The response has been in quite a few places that they've tried to make it illegal to film the police. <laughs> Right, so this idea of of interrupting <clears throat> of, of of interrupting uh, reporting, right? Because now anybody with a camera has has really has become a reporter. Yeah. Um, the first time I noticed this trend started to happen was there was a tragic shooting uh, in one of the universities. I think it was Virginia Tech, mm-hmm. right? It was about a decade ago. Yeah. And it was at that time that I remember CNN started this thing where they actually asked people, you know, if you have camera footage, send it to us and and we'll put it on and make you kind of like a guest, you know, not a reporter, but, you know, you'll be featured on here and we'll we'll show the footage and stuff. That's how it started. Now you see things culminating in in a situation like, for example, uh, the Parkland shooting. Right, which we talked about earlier, which is this incredibly graphic uh, footage that people capture from their phones, and that, and that, and that's just um, it creates a whole new way, a whole new dimension into what's happening, into the news, into that tra- tragedy. This as it's happening, mm-hmm. there's something that was really, I think, impossible before. Do you all think that that because? Um just the the average everyday citizen is now uh, equipped to to go live and to join the you know join the ranks of of reporters. Do you think now that this becomes a a potential situation where the rights of the you know rights of citizens will be you know are on the verge of being curtailed? I mean, I know I said that that whole thing about the police filming police and everything. But do you see do you see some potential blowback with the blowback with the the current administration? You mean like, are you talking about citizens' right to privacy, or something else? <clears throat> no, not citizens' right to privacy, but really the citizens' right to uh, to participate. Hmm. Right. I, I actually don't see that that would that that would curtail only because uh, we also have different. I think everything goes back to money, so we have different revenue streams. Yeah. And so with, with YouTube, with um, you know Facebook or Snapchat or all these other social media, 
uh, platforms, they're they are driven by this type of uh, content. So I think there's still going to be a place for, you know, citizen reporting. But the but I, I, I think they aren't going to want to see that go away. So somehow uh, there's going to have to be some sort of equilibrium between fictional media, when we're talking about the movies that are inspiring, you know, inspiring this conversation, mm-hmm. between journalism and then between the, the guy on the street journalism. Because when you're a news source like CNN or even Fox or something like that. There's supposed to be some sort of journalistic integrity that you're... That supposed you, to be. Th- th- I mean, you're supposed to. Mm-hmm. Versus uh, just some guy filming anything on the street. So they're going to have to be able to uh, make some sort of... Uh, to be able to tell the difference between right. what is a news source and then just a random observation from someone who's allowed to be totally biased. I don't think we're. I think we're going to approach that as we start to see uh, Facebook and again all these other social media outlets coming under fire because they're going to be called journalists because now they don't want to be journalists. So once they're called journalists, they're going to have to figure out a way to be able to to put out their content without having to do as much fact-checking. So I think we're going to hit it down the line. Isn't there a difference between a journalist and a reporter? A journalist and a reporter? Um, maybe, maybe, yes and no. Okay, Th- let's think back to uh, Philando Castile, the, um, uh, the, the brother that was killed. Minnesota? Yeah, Minnesota. Okay. Right. Okay. So his fiance she goes live and she starts recording right so at that point she's she's a reporter correct right so the difference between uh somebody just giving you what's going on at that particular time telling exactly what happened uh really not you know there's a difference between that and someone taking the time to put a story together well then right well, as, then, as a journalist well then i guess then I would. I feel like I would have to put journalism and a reporter lumped closer together because then I feel like this person is reporting or chronicling what's going on at the moment the same way you might journal in your diary mm. uh, because you're also an emotional participant in this with some with certain biases or or uh, prejudices that go along with whatever it is you are participating in mm. versus the outside person who is supposed to approach this without bias and just, again, report the facts and then give... Well, I won't... Okay, I won't say without bias, but they're just supposed to report the facts as they happen and then let the viewer come to the final decision. Whereas the person who's a participant, they're, in a sense, dictating, this is how you should feel because this is what I went through, so you should go through it too. it's, It's... I'm still trying to figure that out. Hmm. But uh, so I would feel she, I would feel reporters like someone we see out on the, like if Tom Brokaw or one of those people or whoever is out in, in, in hurricane country 
out there with the fel- camera and the microphone, they're still supposed to have some sort of uh, journalistic, unbiased integrity in reporting the story as they see it versus... I think that um, we've introduced kind of a new wrinkle. I know we've kind of gone off a little bit. But now I think we're at a point where people have to know the difference between a reporter, uh, and they were synonymous at one point, right? You think reporter and That's journalist exactly what I was at one say. point. The role is changing but because yeah, of this new technology. Exactly, which means that people, there's, there's a level of, a, there's an education that has to take place where mm. people now understand a reporter can give you, can tell you what's going on right now, right? But we depend on journalists, investigative journalism, um, to be specific, to give us uh, context, to give us uh, background, and, and, and you know, give us a multi-layered um, uh, report uh, as to as to what happened, and to the best of their ability, why it happened. Um, so there is there is a there is a difference because the fact that everybody has a phone now, you have billions, you have millions and millions, hundreds of millions of reporters. But not everybody is going to be a journalist. So then, then yeah. go on. Just want to say, like, then going back to the Trump, Trump, how he says the media, journalists are the enemy of the people. Yeah. So then, really, are reporters? Could reporters be the enemy of the people versus journalists being the enemy of the people? I mean, is it true in one sense? Because I could say I'm a reporter, but logic, totally. Probably. If they catch him doing something that he's not supposed to do, then sure. <laughs> no, no, but I mean, if I'm like, <laughs> if I'm like the bias type, or I think today they just said that they they caught some Russian woman who was who was uh, sending out all these fake memes and stuff like that, and maybe doing all this propaganda. No, someone for propaganda. They're not. They're not trying to do bias. They're trying to influence or or sow dissent within the communities. For Trump, for Trump, I don't think he. He makes that distinction. I think it for him it's still synonymous. It doesn't matter. Journalist, reporter, they're all the same thing to him. But I mean to civil but I mean I'm using his ex, the expression he used. Yeah. But to civil society. Yeah. Could there literally be now enemies of the people who are reporters and then Enemies of the people? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because okay, so there's this whisper campaign that's going on yeah. around yeah. uh Jamal um Khashoggi. And you know they're trying to paint him out to be a, a terrorist. Uh, they're linking him with uh, different organizations or, or whatever. You know, Muslim Brotherhood, and uh, you know they're really they're trying to discredit him uh, as if that would make the the the, the death the reported death that he received um, justified. Yeah, and and that's absolute absolute nonsense. So, um, yeah, I I, I think. There, there definitely are reporters. I mean, if you think about the people that are pushing that story out there, or uh, the people that put blatant lies out. Um, so, an exec from Facebook was on, I think MSNBC this morning, and they were talking about, you know, their precautions. Uh, you know, dealing with election, you know, tampering, and you know, people putting out fake news and all that. So yeah, we do know that there is a segment of uh, of, of the. You know, of this group, and probably not even—they're more. I would call them imposters, right? They're not—they're not real journalists. They're just people. They—they—they are there to push propaganda. Okay, because then just if I, so I would consider maybe this is a little off target. Like, 
like an Alex Jones. That's the propaganda guy. Yeah. I mean, it just versus um, Alex Jones. It's debatable whether he's even a propagandist or a character for satire purposes because when they I'm saying that because when, when he goes to court or whatever for when he went to court for his divorce proceedings or something like that that's what he said he's like oh that's just a character that I play right. on TV you know what I mean so but people do believe it no, people no, do it, certainly treat it as if it's it's a news source but I, and I agree but that's what I mean so he's he he's he's a character he he floats between reality and surreality or surrealism whenever he wants to but he's trying to present himself or his brand as some sort of source of uh, of information media and and unfortunately he was legitimized by our president mm-hmm. so then you know then going then taking that back to the movies or things that we're seeing that's that are actual fiction how are they you know all of a sudden some of these stories that are chronicling maybe real life events are now seen as propaganda more so than you know a, a take on history because you've got to deal with these people who are um conspiracy theorists but are being taken seriously as if they're as if what they're spouting is real or fact based so basically I think um, your point really hits home that we're still because of these new developments because of uh, technology being in the hands of all of us that we can film everything and also um, media capabilities the ability to brand myself and put myself out there present myself as a news organization or whatever as even if it be on a small scale a blog or whatever that i think because of these new developments in the past decade or so we're still trying to figure out and sort through what the role is going to be of journalists and what the role is going to be of civilians and where to draw the line between journalism and reporting and voyeurism and so on and how these things are going to um, really play into our lives because I think if you go back 20, 30, 40 years the role of a journalist was to bring you an event that's happening right now that you have no access to right. you know um, now the role of a journalist is not really exactly needed for that but they're taking on more of the role of like a middleman to craft a narrative whether it be biased or unbiased and present it to you and saying this is kind of what's happening right now mm-hmm. as opposed to just reporting that you know uh Kennedy got shot or whatever here's the footage you know there's no way we would have seen that if it wasn't for journalists now everyone would have their phones out for some some kind of tragic event like that you know what i mean mm-hmm. so the journalist has to um for lack of a better term do something to like keep their relevance and and craft this kind of narrative and present it to the people. I think the relevance. I think this all goes back to the 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 end result. It's not is not that it's that it's consumed, right? The 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 news story, the video clip, whatever. That it's not that it's consumed. The real end result is it's the discourse. It's the conversation that comes out uh, after it. 
right? It's how it mobilizes people, uh, brings them together to, to have conversations. Now, what we're looking at is, it seems like there is, um, there's a disruption of that now, where because there are so many different sources uh, and because now you have media, not just media, but yeah, you have media being discredited uh, at a at a you know like I said in a at a rate that we have not seen uh, before, and all these conspiracy theories being uh, thrown out, it's getting in the way of the conversations that should be having right. So, th- th- case in point, when Colin Kaepernick and when Ed who was the brother was it Ed um it was another uh, another fellow with him Reed Reed yeah I think it was Ed, was it Ed Reed I. I think so because he's playing now. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So the two of them, they were the ones that they kicked the whole thing off with kneeling, and instead, and, and and it's reported, and and there's conversation, but the conversation was interrupted, right? The conversation was interrupted because there was a different narrative, uh, that that was that was pushed out, um, in response to them. So, as a, as a country. We really didn't get to have. We still haven't had a real conversation on that. Um, it's been politicized. Uh, it's been, you know, rerouted, redirected, and I think a great deal of it. A great deal of that has to do with the media's or journalism's um, journalist inability or their lack. Their lack of effect. I think to, to to bring those real conversations that need to that should take place after they've covered an event. Yeah, uh, and as you say that, something else sticks with me too is when in I'll say that that way of covering events, you're also taking. Oh, let me let me no let me let me uh, stop you right there for just a second. Hold that thought. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want you to go ahead and give your response to that. Um, we'll be right back. This is Radio Slam on WCEV, 1450 AM. Radio Islam, the nation's first daily live call-in talk radio show, Produced by Muslims for the mainstream market. Radio Islam, on the air since 2004 because of your generosity. Radio Islam salutes its most valuable asset, you, our listener. From our producers to our interns, we appreciate your support. Thank you. The Syrian Community Network, with offices nationwide, serves its Chicago area clients from its Northside location located at 5439 North Broadway. They provide housing, social services, education, basic human needs, and food security. The Syrian Community Network has Arabic-speaking staff and is a partner organization of the Illinois Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights. You can get more info by calling area code 872-806-0141. That's area code 872-806-0141 or by visiting their website at syriancommunitynetwork.org. Hey, America. 
We need to have a little talk. I don't know if you've noticed, but we got a lot of food in this country. A lot of peaches, a lot of corn, a lot of apples, a lot of everything. We've got so much food that we can't even eat it all. So if we got all this extra food, how are 17 million kids in America struggling with hunger? I just don't get it. That's why the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks gathers surplus food and gets it to the hungry kids who need it. They can get you food even if you live in Idaho or Alaska or somewhere crazy like that. This isn't complicated. We got extra food and we've got hungry kids. Feeding America's done the math. Now it's your turn. Support Feeding America in your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. I know you got internet on your phone, so what are you waiting for? We can't do it without your help. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Welcome back. Welcome back to Radio Islam. I'm your host, Tariq Alameen. We are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming on WCEV1450.com. Really easy, really easy. Folks, keep up with us on social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Look for us at Radio Islam USA. And also take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play. Tune in, and you will find us at Radio Islam USA. If you're on uh, Apple Podcasts, take a moment to review and rate. That's right, review and rate. Let us know what you think. All right, uh, I am joined by Bubba Murray and Ibrahim Baig. Uh, and we are, we're kind of all over the place, but we're, we're talking about um, media and the uh, and free press. And we were closed out before we went to break. Bubba was about to give, a, uh, give us his thoughts on uh, just... Well, it was, it was about the responsibility of the the press and why some things may seem so sensationalized. Yeah. And I think you had to put it into context when you think about it. Let's say we're 2018. So 30 years ago, you might you had cable. 40 years ago, you not everyone had cable. So you might have had like five stations, mm-hmm. five places to watch the screen time. So what I'm, I'm, I'm getting to that there's a huge fight now for screen time. Mm-hmm. And... I think part of being able to get those eyes on a screen is just to be more sensationalized, which then leads people to be more irresponsible. And, you know, our president is great at that. Just throw things out to to the masses that will have them rabid. Because, again, if you think about, let's say, 1978, mm-hmm. uh, the only time we're going to be able to watch TV is at home. And if you're working, you're not going to be able to watch TV at work. You're going to be watching it from maybe 6 to 11 if you decide to go to sleep. Mm -hmm. So five hours a day, you've got screens in front of you. So, And you've got three choices. So they really dictated, you know, these these stations dictated what they were going to feed you. Mm -hmm. Now we can watch 24-7. And I have a nephew, you know, people with kids... We're watching multiple screens at one time, so it's not just watching one thing. You're watching three things, 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. Um, so people are fighting to get you on their screen. So it's going to be, obviously it's going to be insane. They've got to go over the top. And so I think uh, 
I think it's going to be a long time before we before before this phase of our media consumption sort of levels out to where we understand how to take it because this is still very new. I'm just talking about the last three or four years mm. that we have been this addicted as a culture yeah. to our screens. We we didn't always take our smartphones everywhere. Yeah, there was a time you went home and watched primetime TV. Now. Everything is with you everywhere. Yeah, so we didn't. We didn't there's have a lot of competition for yeah. your eyes. So, so let let's move uh, in a different direction. Let's talk about films that have impacted, uh, that have in fact impacted maybe public policy or or just really brought a, a greater awareness to something that today we take for maybe take for granted. Um, but at the time of the movie, it was you know it was received like like wow you know this this happened. Um, well, I'll jump in with one. Uh, I want to go with the movie um, The Day After Tomorrow. Okay. Now, on that, when that movie came out, you know, people were talking about climate change, but it wasn't really a mainstream issue. Right. But again, this movie, dire- directed by the same person who brought you uh, Independence Day, you think of it as just being a blockbuster movie. But after seeing that, you know, awareness of these of these uh, climate issues and environmental issues, I think among the average viewer raised 20 percent of being aware or concerned about it. And again, we're talking 2004 when that movie came out, uh, where now it's one of this is a topic that we use for elections. But but that really was one of the movies that put that that topic into the mainstream of middle America. Every, everyone was talking about it after this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think also as far as research went, because all of the, the movies uh, that we see, at least the good ones, right, they're grounded in some, in some real science, real research. Um, and I think this movie was one that um, it, brought a, it brought a response from the from people to say we need to know more about this you know is this really possible uh and and when you have a public outcry public support public support it's a lot easier to make decisions fiscal uh, decisions on a, a policy uh, level right because you're going to allocate money towards more research um and of course once again the, even that response can be politicized but uh at the very least you find Support from from the people. Yeah, you have an i you have an an easy identifiable reference point. Yeah, you know, even though we know this is fantasy, it is a big budget movie, but it's just the idea, a little bit of that that scare tactic of saying it could get that bad. And although this is fantasy, this is hyperbole, worst case scenario, it's still based in reality. So you have to take it seriously. Well, when you hear like each year that um, X amount of species go extinct every year, or if you hear uh, that birds, right, that they're having, especially those, uh, you know, like the penguins, right, that they're being affected by the melting of the polar ice caps. Uh, And that melting, uh, it has an impact on sea levels, you know, um, you know, thousands of miles away from there uh, that when you see this thing happening in front of you I mean it's nothing 
it's nothing dramatic about it, right? But it is a uh, it's, it's a stark reality that global warming that our that is, is happening. Our, our our climate is changing, and if you think about if you haven't seen the movie uh, the day after uh, tomorrow, the cover of it is it's like a frozen tundra with nothing showing of the Statue of Liberty except for I don't I don't think I can see the head but I just see the it's just the, the torch yeah just the arm and the torch that's above everything else is frozen it's a gray sky and I mean you talk about imagery right uh, and that's certainly that's certainly a reality yeah. most people you know we, we can't even imagine you know that everything is broken down there are no there are no systems where's the government um where are you going to work at right <laughs> Yeah, that's that's the last thing you worried about. What's another one? Um, oh, you know what? Let me go to this one. Um, it wasn't air. Oh, rain, Rain Man, Rain Man. <laughs> this is uh, old school. Uh, Tom Cruise, Dustin Hoffman, uh, who just did a phenomenal job um, portraying. I don't remember the character's name, but the point was uh, he. You know, it's about a, a man. And his, his two brothers. And Dustin Hoffman is the autistic brother. So his Dustin Hoffman's brother's name was Raymond. And That's right. That's why that's where Rain Man came from. Yeah, right. And and Tom Cruise played uh, his brother, his younger brother, Charlie Babbitt. Yeah, yeah. He used to call him Rain Man. <laughs> but as far as what it did for and it was so it was so far ahead of its time because we hear commercials all the time now about autism awareness. Uh, and they're celebrities, and they, they give you the numbers that it seems to be much more um, frequently occurring, you know, in in today's children, uh, and expected to be uh, a much more frequent occurrence for tomorrow's children. But when this movie came out, people were not talking about autism, you know, uh, at all. It was not out in the public, uh, and it seemed like it dropped off even after the movie. It didn't seem like there was a whole lot of conversation. Uh, at least public awareness that was around. Yeah, I think that they they had uh, grouped autism in with all sort of a big lump of disabilities. So I think this was a remarkable movie for bringing out the idea of someone with these sort of issues uh, and trying to, you know, mainstreaming the storyline with that. But I think, as you said, it drops off when they'll say someone with autism is the same problem as someone who might be facing issues that someone might have who has Down syndrome or someone who might have uh, a birth defect because of like lack of oxygen. But any sort of brain injury, I think they started to lump them all in. But yeah. then you have – now you've come back today with other shows and, and definitions where, it's, where we understand – autism much better i mean the idea of a spectrum was never discussed or heard of at that time and you couldn't have uh programs now like uh the show called the the good doctor mm-hmm. or uh, speechless speechless uh oh there's another netflix one uh um atypical atypical yeah so now now you've now you've got shows presenting different, well, people with different levels of ability. 
I'll say it like that. Can I say this? I think when I really reflect on Rain Man, right, this is 88 that it came out in. Um, and these other shows you just mentioned, I think the real importance is not, the importance is not just the um, bringing awareness to autism or whatever the, the particular issue is. I think what it, the, the importance is in humanizing, yes. um, you know, is, is bringing a human face and a story uh, to people because often if a person has a, you know, if they've had a, 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 an injury that alters them physically, uh, their, their physical function or maybe their appearance, uh, there is a tendency to kind of look at that person, um, you don't look at them the same, right? They, they're kind of almost excluded. Uh, they lose some of their humanity. And the same could be uh, said for people who have, uh, you know, they have different mental um, uh, c- conditions, uh, you know, whether it's autism or, uh, or, or, I mean, somebody could be, well, I should say this, people who have, they find themselves non-communicative, right? So, if, and, and that, and th- that presents a problem sometimes for people who are not aware, right? If they're not sensitized, then you don't really see that person as, as, as an individual. But you think about speechless, this guy has so much personality on the show, and he doesn't say anything. But it's, it's all about his facial, uh, his gestures, and, uh, you know, you find a way to communicate on a different level. So the ability to give humanity to these, these people, these characters, um, I think that's probably the, the biggest contribution. Yeah, I mean, I, this is a quick thing to jump to you. Just that I like that the, the, the point of view from the storytelling is – has shifted, which is good because for something like Rain Man, you're telling the story of Raymond. I mean, you're talking about him, but it's still from Tom Cruise's point of view. So Rain Man, Raymond, he's still the outsider. Yeah. Now, today, well, 30 years later, we realize we need to tell these stories from from the other person's point of view. So. So, like, the character you're talking about from Speechless, this is from his point of view, most of the storytelling. Yeah. So he's the insider. He's This is his universe, and you are in it. So then then I think we all get a better idea of the struggles, and it makes that character more relatable, which is the most important thing no matter what. If we can relate to that person a little bit better, then we can understand and sympathize and empathize and all those great words. Yeah. Hey, Brian? If I had to choose one... I would have to go with um, Spike Lee's X. That mm. movie uh, was transformative in three different aspects. First is within the Muslim community. Second is within the black community. And the third is uh, in American society as a whole. Now, in the Muslim community, I would say it really woke a lot of people up to um, being connected to something which roots which were much deeper and much more powerful than just someone like me whose parents came here and you know now Muslims are here that narrative getting past that narrative and and really establishing someone as an an American figure in Islam uh, that was a a powerful a revolutionary thing also when you talk to many people who uh, converted to Islam in the 90s They did so because they read the autobiography of Malcolm X, right? And it was that film, Spike Lee's film, which 
boosted the people's curiousness of Malcolm X to the point where they actually went and read the auto, the entire autobiography. Yeah. Um, so that was also a revolutionary aspect. Um, within the black community, I'd say that movie comes on the tail end of the social consciousness movement within the New York hip-hop community at that time. So we're talking about, I think, like, 93 it came out. Mm-hmm. After that, uh, not to say that the social consciousness left the music, but it certainly left the the music, which was socially conscious, like Public Enemy and, and other groups like that, certainly left the spotlight in terms of record sales and so on. Mm-hmm. So it's coming out of the tail end of that movement. Uh, Do the Right Thing was another one, right, dealing with race, racial issues in New York City and so on. Um, and introducing islam now into the the discussion right as as something which is a viable method for social change um is and and in larger american society i think the government came out with a malcolm x stamp which was after the film yeah um solidifying Malcolm X's place in as in not just a specific figure but an American figure even the government had to recognize like yeah this person Malcolm X he was somebody important this is somebody who was very important in our history and stays relevant until this time so by making a stamp you say well it's just a stamp but they're in a sense acknowledging that and white America is acknowledging that um, so I would have to go with that movie for these reasons mm. Well, I'm going to co-sign on that uh, <laughs> 100% because uh, that is that is one of my favorite my favorite films of, of all time. As a matter of fact, uh, I had a tradition. I watched that movie after I bought it. I watched it every year, at least once a year. <laughs> right? I watched it. I mean, from a filmmaking standpoint, uh, from an acting standpoint, uh, Denzel, to me, that robbed. was some of his. Yeah, he was absolutely robbed. I mean, how are you going to get this man the Oscar for Training Day, um, and and overlook him for for Malcolm X? Why well, Denzel have to be crooked before he took it? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent on that. Uh, but I also I have to make this observation. Um, I think that even in the celebration of that movie, uh, I don't know. I, I think that it it gave people a reason to go find out more about him, right? But I think it did not, I think more people did not go all the way, right? They didn't look and see, uh, they didn't find out about the community. They didn't really look into the nation and how, in its formation or uh, uh, Elijah Muhammad and see uh, his impact because if you look at Malcolm, you also have to look at um, you have to look at Muhammad Ali. You look at Imam Martin Muhammad. You look at Menace Louis Farrakhan. Um, these are all individuals that came from Donald Elijah Muhammad, and that's a history. That, that that's if there's any that that's not even a critique. It's just an observation, right? Because, like I said, it's one of my favorite movies. But if there is a uh, if there's anything that I would have hoped would have come about that for mainstream America in particular. It will be for them to understand the importance of Elijah Muhammad's uh, leadership and to see how that community was. It, it came out of a response to uh, really oppression of the of the, the, the Jim Crow South, uh, the, the racism in the North. Uh, and a matter of fact, if we go back to Malcolm X, the movie, one of the most powerful scenes 
is in relation to what? It's in relation to police brutality. When they 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 come up there and they all you know and they lined up and they come to check on the brother that, that the police have beat up and you know they get a medical attention and and what's the response from the police officer the, the captain or whatever uh, he says that's too much power for one man to have right because they all sitting out there but the point is this is in 92 and we look now here we are you know over 30 years later and we're still hold on is that 30 years yet almost 20, 30 years about yeah, 25 that's right um, 26 yeah, I almost lost myself but almost 30 years later, and we're still having the same, the same issues. We're still protesting about the same stuff. So on a broader level, I, I would like to see, I guess, more conversation. But I, but I co-sound 100% on, on everything you said on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. This is definitely a transformative movie. But I, almost just jumping on the back of, of what you were saying yeah. about uh, protesting the same things, they're also using the same excuses as far as retaliation or or the to clap back on it yeah yeah that's it <laughs> okay well uh as always when the three of us sit down uh time flies really really quickly but uh bubba thank you ibrahim thank you uh we are going to close it out now we thank you for tuning in remember Subscribe to the podcast, rate, review. You'll find us at Radio Islam USA. Now we want to go ahead and thank our engineers over at WCEV. Thank you very much for making sure we come through loud and clear. I'm your host, um, joined by my co-host, uh, Bubba Murray, the impressive one, Ibrahim Baig, uh, and we're your producers too. Our executive executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid, and we remind you that the views expressed by the host and or guests are theirs and not to be taken as a representation of sound vision. Oh, last thing I got to mention. Don't miss us. October 27th, Ashton Place, 6 p.m. Linda Sasser, Amir Kawaji, Imam Abdul Malik Mujahid. You don't want to miss it. Go to soundvision.com, get your tickets. We want to see you October 27th. All right. That being said, we are now going to leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Thank you.